If you will, make your way to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. We'll look together today at the first 11 verses in a message entitled, Fishers of Men. We're continuing today in our focus on Jesus came to seek and to save. Thinking about what it means to be fishers of men as we answer the call of the Lord and as we serve him as his disciples. Some of you might remember the movie, The Perfect Storm. The Perfect Storm well described the dangers of the fishing industry through the eyes of a commercial fishing crew on the boat, the Andrea Gale. Out of their need to bring home an excellent catch of fish, the captain and the crew decided they were going to risk everything and they were going to travel to the most remote area that they could to a fishing ground called the Flemish Cap. It's an especially dangerous trek in the time of year that they went on this expedition. And on their way back to Massachusetts, the Andrea Gale encountered what was referred to as the perfect storm in 1991, and they were never heard from again. There have been a lot of improvements in shipbuilding and navigational technology and weather reporting and rescue support and all that goes along with that over the years that has made boating in general safer uh, as an activity. But commercial fishing continues to be a very dangerous occupation. Uh, The Perfect Storm author Sebastian Younger said there are many kinds of work that are dangerous, but one of the interesting things about fishing is that it hasn't changed much over time. It's been mechanized, of course, but the basic reality of going to sea for months at a stretch is the same as it was 100 years ago. You're way beyond help from anyone else. You're on your own. And I think that forms a certain kind of character. He said not only does everyone know someone who has died at sea, but everyone who works in the fishing industry has almost died. It takes courage to be a fisherman. Now, while it might not be, in most cases, as physically dangerous to be a fisher of men, it is quite a calling because we're entering into a battle between light and darkness. We're entering in representing the Lord of all the universe, and we're taking the good news as we seek to fish for men to share the gospel and to see people come in to the kingdom of God. And it takes courage to do that. Luke began his gospel by telling us about the events leading up to the birth of Jesus and then including the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 1 and 2. When we come to Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist is telling people in his preaching that repentance of sin is necessary uh, to exercise faith. And then Luke presents to us the long-promised Messiah, the suffering servant, the son of God who came to be obedient to the Lord and to his calling on his life from the father. And he came and was declared at his baptism to be just who he was foretold to be. And his public ministry began right on the hills of his baptism. He's led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He withstands a great series of temptations Even though those temptations were real, he was able to overcome them by the power of the Spirit, and the Spirit ministered to him along with the angels. And then Jesus began uh, the walk of his public ministry. He went to Nazareth, which was his hometown. He found very little respect there. A prophet has no honor in his own hometown, even though some did believe. So he made his way from there to the Capernaum synagogue. 
This represents a turning point of sorts in the ministry of Jesus because he's turning his attention from the inside of the synagogue to the outdoors and to the open-air ministry that would uh, characterize much of what he did publicly in his ministry on the earth. He would turn his attention again to the synagogue, but in this particular passage we're looking at today, it's the beginning of his Galilean ministry, which is marked out by Jesus calling and then beginning to train his disciples. We find specifically the calling of Peter, James, and John, and Jesus called them to follow him and to reach others with the good news. In the call that Jesus placed, on the lives of Peter and James and John is the same call that Jesus places on our lives. So what I want us to do together is consider this passage as it unfolds. So we'll read uh, short sections as we go along and see what the Lord would say to us about what it means to be fishers of men and specifically to answer this question, as disciples of Jesus, how can we be fishers of men? As disciples of Jesus, how can we be fishers of men? First, to be fishers of men, we need to listen to the word of the Lord. We need to listen to the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. Lake Gennesaret uh, means literally harp, Gennesaret does, which refers to the actual shape or the outline of the lake. Uh, This is the Greek form of the oldest name of the lake. You'll also find in the Gospels this body of water referred to as the Sea of Galilee. Now, Galilee references both the region that is in the north of Israel in which Jesus ministered, as well as specifically the Sea of Galilee, and Galilee means circle. Additionally, it's referred to at times as the Sea of Tiberias, which was connected to a particular small city that was built on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee by Herod Antipas in 20 AD. He named it after the emperor uh, Tiberius, and it's all the same body of water. So if you're reading your Bible and you find Lake Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, or the Sea of Tiberias, we're talking about the same body of water, which is in the north of Israel. Now, this lake is about 13 miles long. It's about eight miles wide at its widest point. And when it's full, it's about 140 feet deep. During the time of Jesus, there were about nine small towns that were scattered out along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. There would have been around maybe 15,000 people total. So we're not talking about uh, massive areas of population. We're talking more in terms of settlements and small towns or cities as we might refer to them. The scripture says specifically there were two boats, one of them belonging to Simon Peter, the fisherman, 
and then the other being directed by James and John, who were Simon Peter's partners. They're washing their nets, as you might imagine, when commercial fishermen go out and they're casting their nets into the water. There's all sorts of debris and things that need to be cleaned off of the nets, especially when it's been an unsuccessful fishing trip. And that's exactly what they were doing. And this was a time when Peter had already met Jesus. Now remember, uh, Peter's mother-in-law had been healed, but that's not even when Peter first met Jesus. Peter had come to know quite a bit about Jesus, in fact. We learn from John's gospel that Peter met Jesus around the time of the preaching of John the Baptist. Uh, John pointed to Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God. It says in John chapter 1 and verse 40 to 42 that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, we found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So this was Peter's first encounter with the Lord. But as the Lord continued to unfold the ministry that he had for Peter, his calling continued to get more and more clarity and more and more specifics about what Jesus wanted him to do. Here was a man who was growing in his understanding of and recognition of Jesus. Is that not how it is in our lives as disciples? Is that not how it is in, in our understanding of what salvation is and who Jesus Christ is? We know enough to get saved when we come to faith, but that's just the beginning. It's the beginning. It's the unfolding. It's the progression. It's the development. It's the growth. It's the spiritual maturity where the Lord leads us down this path and we grow in our understanding of him so that we can be more useful for him. Now, the Bible says here that the crowds were pressing in. So I want you to get in your mind's eye just for a moment what that scene would have looked like. Uh, the land gently slopes down to the Sea of Galilee, and then the water starts off uh, rather shallow. The fishermen have been fishing. Their boats are there in the water. They're over there washing their nets. And Jesus tells Peter to get one of the boats, and they're going to launch out just a little bit. Jesus gets into the boat, and Jesus determines in that moment that he's going to use a floating pulpit. That was his technique. Now, why would he do that? Well, there were a lot of people. Jesus had already done some amazing things. Would you not want to get as close as you possibly could get to the Lord if you were in his physical presence and you had seen him do some of the things that he did? Would you not want to lean in and press in and get in just as close to the action as you possibly could? Well, that's what these people were doing as well. And Jesus, as they're pressing in, decides that he's going to create just a little bit of space between him and them. And it would also have created a natural amphitheater of sorts. With Jesus there on the water, uh, facing the land, the people scattered around there on the hillside. We don't know exactly how many people there were. The voice of Jesus would have projected quite nicely as he began to speak. And there the people were, and there were these fishermen doing what Jesus had called them to do. Now, it's an interesting account because the scripture tells us here that the reason specifically that they were getting so close to Jesus was that they wanted to hear the word of God. They wanted to listen to what he was saying. Back in Luke chapter 4, uh, it's clear that the message of Jesus focused on the kingdom of God. 
the message had come from none other than God himself. Jesus would say in John's gospel in chapter 8 in verse 28, I do nothing on my own, but I speak these things as the Father has taught me. This expression, the word of God, appears here in Luke. It also appears in Matthew chapter 15, Mark chapter 7, and John chapter 10. It appears again in Luke's writing in Acts chapter 8 and verse 12 to 14, where it indicates that Philip proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and of the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. This is another Simon. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria, listen to this, had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. Now, don't miss this connection. This was none other than Jesus, who is the living word of God, who is the embodiment of the word of God, who is now speaking the word of God to the people. The Old Testament used the term word, meaning specifically God's communication of himself to people. So the concept of the word is that God is communicating himself to people. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John chapter 1 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1, God has manifested himself in various times and in various ways, but now he has done so preeminently through his Son. So the very presence of Jesus among the people was a declaration of the word of God. The word of God was in their midst, but he was also speaking the word of God to the people. Undoubtedly, the content of the word of God included the truth about the character of God, who he was. It included content about the Savior and what he had come to do, the uh, essential things that are important to understand about the gospel and also the need of all people for Jesus. And here's the beauty of it today, because the Spirit of God indwells us through faith in Jesus. When we read the Bible, or we hear the truth about Jesus proclaimed, as we're doing here together today in congregational worship, we are listening to the Word of the Lord. So you want to hear the voice of God? Read your Bible. It's the voice of God speaking to us. It is inspired, given by God himself, breathed out, and is not only true, but it is sufficient for everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. To be fishers of men, we need to listen to the word of the Lord. And then second, to be fishers of men, we need to depend on the authority of the Lord. We need to depend on the authority of the Lord. Look again in verse 4. The Bible says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. So the Lord directs Peter, the fisherman, as to where he would cast his nets. Now there's a bit of irony here. This is a carpenter telling an experienced fisherman how to fish. Now, if you don't know anything about fishermen, here's one thing you should know. A fisherman thinks he knows or she knows everything about fishing. They're very difficult to tell anything. They know where they want to go fish. 
they know what they want to use to go fishing with, and they're not telling anybody about either of those particular things. They know what they want to do, and they, want, they know how they want to do it. And yet here's Jesus the carpenter telling the commercial fisherman how to fish. Furthermore, he was telling him to fish in an unlikely place at an unlikely time. Go out into that deeper water in the broad daylight and go fishing. Now, humanly speaking, this didn't make sense. And according to verse 5, Simon replied, Master, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. This is just a statement of realism. He's like, uh, hello, we tried that. We were out there with the boats. We're, we're over here. We're, we're washing our nets now. But, and, and as you can see, we don't have any fish. We, we were out there all night. They're probably tired by that point because they've been laboring and they've not been successful. But there is a moment here in this passage that is a turning point in verse 5, and we cannot miss it. Simon said, but if you say so. In that moment, he's replying to the Lord, and I think he's struggling with faith and doubt. He's struggling in this tension between trust and misgiving. He's wondering what he should do. And if we're honest, we'd all say we've been in the same situation. We've been in the same boat where the Lord has told us to do something. As fishers of men, maybe, he's told us to do something specifically, and we're doubting as to whether or not we should do it. So let's make a, a very practical application of this. Perhaps you have a desire in your heart because you're a Christian. You know what it means to be saved. You know what it means to have the gift of eternal life. You want other people to know about it as well. That should be a spiritual part of who you are as a follower of Jesus. And you got people right around you that you know need to hear the good news of Jesus. But in the moment that the opportunity presents itself and you're prompted by the Spirit of God to share, you start having an argument with yourself. And you think about how they responded the last time you tried to have a spiritual conversation. And you start convincing yourself, well, now is maybe not the right time. Now is maybe an inconvenient time. Now is maybe not a good time to be able to share this. Or certainly they don't want to hear any of this stuff. They don't want to hear any of this spiritual talk. And you start trying to talk yourself out of it. But if you are obedient in that moment, you will have a time where you will say to the Lord, but if you say so, and you will obey what the Lord tells you to do, faith will win in the discussion. That's what happened here for Peter. Faith won. And Peter obeyed and he got miraculous results. After all, he had seen Jesus heal the sick. It's a good reminder for us that oftentimes the directive of Jesus comes to us, and even if we have initial hesitation, when we are sure of the one who is speaking, when we have heard the word of the Lord, then we're willing to do it, and we won't be disappointed when we do. Verse 6, when they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now I think there were probably more than these three 
men there. I think there was probably a crew that was helping with both boats. But either way, what happened here was a miracle. Jesus either demonstrated omniscience because he knew where the fish were and told them where to drop the nets, or he demonstrated omnipotence in directing those fish to be where they were in order to be caught in the net. But either way, it's a miracle. And the amount of fish was so great that the nets started to rip. And Peter called for the others to help, and both of the boats were filled beyond capacity to the point that it was beginning to compromise their ability to float. Now notice the progression. Jesus told Peter to do something specific. Peter in that moment gave a little bit of a reason why it might not work. He's struggling between faith and doubt. He exercises faith, and when he exercises faith, he sees the power of God at work, and then there is a spiritual realization as a result of the physical manifestation. Now, this is very important uh, because Jesus' miracles were never for the point of sensationalism. They were never for the point just to wow people or just to amaze people. They were always for the point of directing people back to him, of authenticating who he was and what he had come to do. And the greatest miracle that we see in the life and the ministry of Jesus ultimately is the power of the resurrection that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead, the power of God that brought life out of death. And we're reminded in all of this that Jesus is Lord. And it says here in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. In that moment, Peter was brought into a realization of the presence of the mighty power of Jesus. Jesus is powerful. And although this miracle did not alter any specific laws of nature, as it were, it revealed the power of Jesus over nature. It was at the word of Jesus that this took place. And Peter was brought into the realization of the holiness of Jesus and his own undoneness before him. In that moment, he becomes more aware of his sin than he had ever been before. When he was faced with the power and the authority of Jesus, he was shaken with the realization of the consequences of his sin. And friends, this is, this is the only right response when we're brought into the presence of the power of Jesus and, and we see the word of the Lord and, and we hear it and we receive it. We come to the realization of who God is and who we are. You see, I think one of the things that has happened in the 21st century church is that Jesus has become sort of a good luck charm. He's become something that we just add on to our lives to bring us health and wealth and prosperity and some type of good luck from the world. When in fact, Jesus is Lord, and not only is Jesus Lord, he is holy among, above everything else, and he represents the very holiness of God to us. And the only right response for us is to be shaken with the realization of the consequences of our own sin. You remember when Isaiah saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, 
his first thought was fear. And he cried out, woe is me. Job had the same experience. Job 42, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So the word of the Lord is authenticated and displayed through the authority of the Lord. And who he is when we come into contact with that shows us who we are. It brings us to a moment of undoneness. But then here's the beauty of it. Don't miss this. It brings us to a point of grace. Aren't you thankful today that Jesus is gracious to us? Because what he does in this moment is he issues a a prophetic call. And he says in the second part of verse 10, it says, Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. This idea of catching people or catching men literally means to catch alive. So there's no catch and release here. This is just a catch for all of eternity if it's a legitimate catch. And the idea of catching men is uh, from the word anthropos, meaning uh, humanity, men, women, boys and girls, all encompassing of people who have been created in the image of God, who have been given life that is precious from God. And they've been brought into this world so that they might know God. And Jesus Christ came into this world so that they could be reconciled to God. And now Jesus is extending that same grace that he extended to Peter and these others to us. And the outcome of that grace is that we are to be fishing as disciples, as representatives for people who need to know God. This would be fulfilled mightily in Peter's life. Peter would preach at Pentecost. And Acts chapter 2 says that on that day when he preached, there were some 3,000 who were added to the number. Just a short time later, that number had grown to 5,000. Peter's prophetic call was not only in a broad sense and a proclamation among crowds, but it was also one-on-one and in the church and in the missionary responsibility that he had. And he would take that responsibility very seriously in catching people for life in life eternal is a great calling. Simon Peter, James, and John heard the word of God They responded to the authority of the Lord, and they saw the Lord do some amazing things. But now that brings me to the third part here of how we can be fishers of men. And he says in verse 11, Luke writes, Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Now Jesus he had a revolutionary way of getting people to follow him. You know what he did? He said, follow me. It's pretty simple. It's not complicated. He said, follow me. And this is the same call that he issues to us that that we would be his followers, that we would be his disciples. And we cannot complicate and confuse what it means to be a disciple of Jesus by making it something that it's not. At the core of it, it means that we are going to follow him with our lives. You understand that when a rabbi or a teacher 
asked someone to follow him in those days, it was not considered a, an obligation or a problem or something that would have been uh, hard for them to do in that regard. It would have been considered an honor that here the teacher was, and he's inviting you to come and follow him. That invitation was uh, an offer of unlimited access to the rabbi. The rabbi was teaching what would amount to a perpetual student. So what would the, what would the disciples of the rabbi do? They would do what the rabbi said to do. They would go where the rabbi said to go. They would eat what the rabbi ate. They would share the same beliefs as the rabbi. You see, in a similar sense, this is the call on our lives. That when we follow Jesus, we want to do what he says to do. We want to be like him. That's why Paul said to the Corinthian church, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He was continuing that, that call of discipleship of being like Jesus and then calling other people to be like Jesus. But it is costly in this sense. When we, you come to follow Jesus, you're going to have to leave some things behind. Somebody said that when you look on the road behind Jesus and his disciples, you're going to find all kinds of things that have been left behind. Fishing nets were left behind. Boats were left behind. Sometimes family members were left behind. There were businesses and money that was left behind. Ultimately, there were certainly sins that were left behind. There is ego and self-centeredness and selfishness and our own agendas. All that stuff's got to be left behind if you're going to come and follow Jesus. You see, that's one of the reasons that much of the 21st century church wants only what Jesus has to offer that conveniently fits in with whatever their agenda is. And friend, if your idea of following God is that God will bless what your agenda is when you have time for him and when it's convenient, you're missing the whole point of what it means to be a disciple. And not only are you missing the whole point of what it means to be a disciple, you're missing out on the immensity of the blessing that God has for you when you come and follow him. Because when you come and follow Jesus, regardless of what it is that you've left behind, the blessing that God has for you far outweighs anything that you could have left behind. And that's why Jesus said, if any man, man wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I can relate personally to what these men went through when they heard the call of Jesus to come and to follow. When I was 19 years old, having been saved at the age of seven, and baptized shortly after. I was 19 years old, and our youth pastor at the time left the church that was my home church. And for about a year, I stepped into a youth director role on a volunteer basis. Now, God had a purpose for that, because in it, he was stirring my heart, and I knew when I was 19 that I was being led toward some type of ministry, but I didn't want any of it. And some of you know a little bit about my story. I was pursuing a, a business degree, and I was in college and headed toward marriage. And I'd grown up in commercial citrus and cattle, and that's all I'd ever done, all I'd ever known. And uh, that's what I wanted to do with my life. That was what my plan was. That's what my agenda was. 
So as God pulled at my heart at 19, that maybe there's something else that he had for me in, in Central Florida, uh, and maybe something he had for me down the road, I just kept pushing back and saying, no, Lord, this is what I want to do. I've got it marked out. This is my plan. And I wandered, in a sense, in the wilderness for about six years after that until I finally answered what God's call was as his disciple to come and to follow him. And I can remember as clear as day, just as I'm standing before you today, it's as clear as my own salvation testimony is. The moment when I let go and I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do, and I'll go wherever you want me to go, and I know that you're calling me into ministry, I'm ready. And I can remember that day just as clear as I can remember today. And it started us on a path that was not completely uh, direct at the beginning. You know, God has a way of doing that. He still shapes us and brings us along. But it brought me into a place that I could have never imagined otherwise. The blessings of God have far outweighed anything that I left behind. Uh, what the Lord has given me the opportunity and the privilege to do over these last 20-some years has been such a great blessing. And had I seen that sooner, there would not have been a journey in the wilderness from 19 to 25 until I finally fully surrendered to that call of God on my life. And I just ask you the question today, is there something that the Lord is calling you to leave behind in order to be useful in his kingdom? Is he calling you to come and to follow him? Perhaps you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. and You're in that moment of faith. You're, there's a crisis between is this true or is it not? Is it worth it or is it not? Is Jesus who he says he is or is he not? And God is speaking to you today as though you are the only one in the room. And he has brought you to this point for a reason. And now the step that you need to take, hearing that call from Jesus to come and to follow him, the step that you need to take is a step of repentance and faith. And today could be the day that your life changes for all of eternity if you would come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as his disciple. But there's some of you here today who have already been saved. And you know the Lord is calling you to take the next step, it, it might just be a greater faithfulness in the area of vocation that he's given you to be a better witness, a better fisher of men than you already are. It might be that God's calling you to step it up and to take another step in the leadership of your family and the influence that you are in your home. I don't know what step God's calling you to, but I can tell you this from experience. God's plan is always better than ours. It's always better. God's plan is always better than ours. And if you want to follow Jesus, you need to fix your eyes on him and be his disciple. Because to follow the Lord means that you're going to know him. It means you're going to spend time with him in word, the word, and in prayer. It means that you're going to grow in the character and the likeness of Jesus. We're, we're, it's never exhausted in this life. When we look to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, and, and we fix our eyes on Jesus, we know that one of the major parts of our calling is to be like Jesus. And friends, I've got a long way to go in my life before I'm going to be like Jesus, but I can tell you that I'm not the same person that I was when I was 19 years old. And praise God that at 19, I was not the same person I was when I was seven years old when I got saved. 
And by the grace of God, I'll not be the same person I am now if Jesus tarries his coming 10 years more. I want to be like Jesus. And we cannot complicate what the Christian life means because it means to follow Jesus, to be like Jesus, to do what Jesus says to do, and to be fishers of men so that other people would know him as well. And making disciples is helping people know Jesus, follow Jesus, and make Jesus known. So I ask you this question as I come toward the close of the message today. Are you ready to follow the Lord? Are you ready? Now we use the word uh, followers a little bit different in the social media age. Following meant something different uh, when I was younger, certainly, than it does now. And I read this little article uh, on social media about the different categories of followers. It's very interesting categorizing the type of followers. First of all, there's a casual type of follower. The casual follower on social media scrolls through the feeds and they click on and like what they find visually appealing. It's a very consumer men mentality of you're just there for the moment. You're just there for the experience. You're just there uh, for the casual experience. And I thought, Lord, have mercy. There are so many parallels to what I'm about to tell you in the church. Because did you know that there are casual followers of Jesus? There's some people that slip into church when it's, when it's convenient. They slip back out. They might slip back in every three or four weeks. And they feel like they've done their religious duty. They've, they've done their religious exercise. And it's just casual. Hey, I like that event. Okay, I'll go to it. Hey, that looks like a good meal. I'll go over there and do that. Hey, that looks like a fun activity for my kids. I think I'll drop the kids off for that, and I'll go back and do some more shopping at Walmart and come back and pick them up after Awana's over. Hey, this is what's convenient for me. These are the casual followers. Now, if they hit home, I'm sorry, but I'm not really sorry. <laughs> Let me just tell you, this is not the category you want to be in. This is not the kind of disciple you want to be. But there's another type of follower. It's the active follower. Now, they appear at first glance to be more engaged. So they're commenting on stuff. They're liking more stuff. They might even be sharing posts, but they're not really invested. So they think the church is doing a pretty good job. And yeah, I'll give some money here and there. And yeah, that's a good activity that they're doing. Yeah, I think my kids ought to go and do that. Not really for me, but I think they ought to be involved in it. And you're a little bit more active. So you're given this outward appearance that you're truly a follower. And then there's the freelance follower. The freelance follower is in it for themselves. So they're just there trying to build their own platform. So maybe you're there for the business contacts, or maybe you're there uh, so that your kids can have some friends, or maybe you're there building your own platform. That's the social media follower. Uh, they're just there for their own purposes. But here's the category you want to be in. It's the loyal follower. They're the dream of every social media marketer. They like what you promote. They promote it to others. They even are so loyal that they defend it against attacks. And they are dependable followers. They're not going anywhere. They're not going to be offended because there was something on the feed that they didn't think was said exactly the way it should be said. Or they're not going to be offended because somebody uh, might have done something a little bit out of the way or hurt their feelings about something. They're just loyal. They're there. They're true followers. They're invested. They take it seriously. Friends, that's the kind of follower of Jesus we want to be. And that's the kind of fishers of men 
that we want to be with our lives. When you came in this morning, hopefully you received a bulletin. If you didn't, you need to get one on the way out. In your bulletin are little invitation cards, and I'm going to give you a very simple assignment this week as a fisher of men. Now, let me just show you what this card is not for, okay? Everybody looking? It's not for marking your place in your Bible. That's not what it's for, okay? This card is for you to pray and to ask the Lord to give you the opportunity to give this invitation card to somebody this week. But as you give this invitation card to somebody, maybe it'll strike up a spiritual conversation and you can go further and tell them about your own testimony, about what God has done in your life and how he's changed you and how he can change their life as well. Can you imagine if hundreds of adults took seriously in a local body of Christ, took seriously the responsibility and the privilege to be fishers of men, and on a weekly basis, there were a whole bunch of us who were simply inviting people, starting spiritual conversations, going deeper when the Lord gives us the opportunity and sharing the gospel, being more intentional as fishers of men. Can you imagine the spiritual fruit that we would see in the life of the church and, and how much stronger it would be than where it is currently? You see, I want to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, but that means that as I lead by example and as your leaders lead by example, you've got to do the work of the ministry as we come alongside you and help you do that to be fishers of men. That's the call of Jesus on our lives. Are you ready to follow the Lord? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the blessing that we have to know you and walk with you by faith. I thank you for this miraculous story of what Jesus did in a physical sense, but it had such a strong spiritual application. May we hear the call to come and follow Jesus and what it means to do that. Lord, there's some people here struggling today. Maybe they're, they're not yet disciples. They don't know Jesus. And they've been weighing it and thinking about it and, and, and maybe under conviction because of their own sin or in, in their undoneness. I pray that today they would say yes and come and follow Jesus. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I think in our hearts, if we know you, we, we want to be loyal followers. I think everybody in this room that knows you wants to be a loyal follower. We thank you that it's not by our strength that we can be, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I pray you would encourage us wherever we are in our journey with you, wherever we are in our, our level of commitment and loyalty, to take another step forward. And may it be so that we would be like Jesus. God, your plan's always the best plan. Even if we can't see it, you're taking us on a spiritual direction that is always the best. So help us to have faith and to trust you more each day. We give this time of closing response over to you. And if there are decisions that need to be made, I pray that people would come. Steps of faith or commitment that need to be made, that people would come as we close out our service together. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.